Hello and welcome to another episode of Now About That with James and Sarah. I'm James. And I'm Sarah. And on this week's episode, we're going to talk about some interesting women in the world of medicine and then talk a little bit about mental health as well. But first, how are things going, Sarah? Sarah going. (laughs) I exist. She's existing on the mortal plane. (laughs) I am existing on the mortal plane. How are you? Eh, I'm good. Busy. Got a lot of stuff to do. I have school stuff and work stuff and doing. Um, I volunteered to help for something um, where it's written in Hebrew and I obviously don't know any Hebrew. So right. I'm trying to figure out how to type well or well, copy and paste because it's already typed. But when I what's weird is when I copy it and then paste it, it flips it around because they type when it, when you type in Hebrew, it's from right to left, not left to right. Like we type. Yeah. Um, so whenever I paste it it flips it around to where it goes from oh. left to right so i had to figure out how to fix that and i still didn't figure out how to in one portion of it i just had to like cut and paste the letters as i was going the characters Oof. it was very weird but other than that not much is going on um i think this weekend we're gonna go see scream six which is exciting mm. yesterday was my co-worker rachel's last well, today was technically her last day, but yesterday was the last day she actually like worked. <laughs> Cause, right. I mean, she she still re- like worked today, but she didn't actually have to like actually do anything because she didn't have her computer, so she couldn't do anything, and we she wasn't expected to go into the facility. So we just right. yesterday we went and had um, dinner as like a farewell thing and i sent a or i bought a virtual card and had a bunch of people sign it and sent it to her and it was a really really good send off and we wish wish her the best of luck in her next endeavor and we will miss her at work because she was a really good collaborative co-worker what about you how are things going at your work they're going (laughs) they uh um i think we're finally settling into like the new manager and some of the new routine stuff it's just taking time that's good um do you want to jump into the topic and look at some some interesting women in medicine i pulled a report from uh best colleges which i think we've looked at something from them before I think so, yeah. Um, and it's called 13 Trailblazing Women Who Redefined Medicine. Um, and then the first one on the list is uh, Mary Edwards Walker. She was born in 1832 and she died in 1919. And she was trained as a doctor before the Civil War and found uh, she found it hard, found, fought hard for her role as an army surgeon during the war at, the, at first Um at first, at first, <laughs> the Union Army only let Walker volunteer as a nurse, but Walker pers- persisted and was eventually approved to work as a surgeon in Ohio. Nice. That you sent me. That is interesting. Did you? Is this an article that you sent to me? No, I can send it now though. Okay. So, I was gonna say, do you, do you want me to help you out with the with the reading stuff? I mean, it's it's in the document that we. Oh yeah. That we use for the podcast. I'm not <laughs> that you all here. Do have access to. I'm not here today. Okay, I'm. I'm today. Here. Shh, quiet time. I'm not here any day. Oh my goodness! You should have read this. Did you know? Fact in 1960, women made up only seven percent of admitted medical students, and before the mid 19th century, medical schools banned women completely. Oh, I didn't even see that. I 
I saw that blue thing and I just thought it was a, an ad. So I completely scrolled past it. Oh. And then today, women in medicine still have a long way to go. In 2018, female physicians and surgeons earned just 67 cents for every dollar earned by male physicians. Moreover, white women remain overrepresented in medicine compared to black and Hispanic women who together account for just 5% of all U.S. doctors. That kind of kind of ties into like the the discussion about uh wage equality and inequality throughout throughout all um fields i guess yeah yeah because it's like really i mean women make a lot less than men in most cases which is not okay and it's weird especially when they do the same amount of work and i don't i don't understand like how how is that a thing and how is it still acceptable so i mean it shouldn't be acceptable um, but the, one of the reasons that it's still a thing is because, um, a lot of women are taught and I mean, and they experience it as well, um, are taught to just like go with the flow and like keep things calm and whatnot. So a, there's a lot of women out there who aren't fighting for, um, you know, the same wage as their counterparts because they don't want to rock the boat yeah which is weird it's like don't you wouldn't you want to get paid the same amount as someone that's doing the same if not less work than you yeah so strange but so then the next person on this list her name is rebecca lee Crum- crumpler from 1831 uh rebecca lee crumpler earned a doctress of medicine in 1864, making her the first black woman in the U.S. to earn a medical degree. After establishing a practice in Boston, Crumpler moved to Virginia to treat formerly formerly enslaved patients, and Crumpler made significant contributions to society in the early years after emancipation by providing medical care to a largely impoverished community. And she also published her medical knowledge and experience treating women and young children in 1883 in a book called A Book of Medical Discourses. Hmm. And it was the first written, uh, the first book written by a female physician. Nice. That's cool. Up next is Virginia Apgar, who was born 1909 and died in 1974. Virginia Apgar was one of nine women at Columbia University's medical school in a class of 90. She worked as a surgeon and anesthesiologist, but her largest impact came from her work in neonatal health. Um, Apgar developed a test to assess newborns' health, scoring babies on their heart rates, movements, color, respiration, and irritability one minute after birth. Apgar's scores became a standard part of labor and delivery, helping identify newborns requiring medical attention. Even decades after Apgar's death, hospitals worldwide continue to use Apgar's scores to reduce infant mortality and promote healthy babies. 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 And the next one doesn't have a picture. Um, The name is Torta of Salerno. Salerno. Uh, Salerno. Salerno. Yes, thank you, Salerno. And considered by many to be the first gynecologist, Torta of Salerno, also known as Tortula, uh, wrote one of the most important medieval medical texts in the 11th century. For the rise of universities, women could become physicians in centers of learning like Salerno, uh, an Italian city south of Nepal or Naples, depending on who you are. Um, Their medical knowledge from Byzantines is lumped Islamic scholars and Latin writers mixed. Uh, Torta synthesized that knowledge in a book about women's health that was later translated into more than a dozen languages. Her book on women's ailments dictated 
medical treatments until 16th century uh, for women too embarrassed to discuss their problems with male physicians. Porta shared treatments to manage infertility, menstruation problems, and childbirth conditions. She also recommended pain management methods for women in labor, which can contradicted the Catholic Church's views that suffering in childbirth was a consequence of Eve's sin. Trailblazer. Jeez. She said, screw your church. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next up is Anandi Gopal Joshi, um, born in 1865, um, passed away in 1887. Tragedy struck Anandi Gopal Joshi at a young age um, after giving birth to her first child at the tender age of 14. Holy crap, um, the baby died. The lack of medical care in India was a problem and Joshi wanted to be part of the solution. So in 1883, she sailed to New York and applied to the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. In her application, Joshi promised to render to my poor suffering country women the true medical aid they so sadly stand in need. Um, After earning her degree in 1885, Joshi returned to India. Unfortunately, she died from tuberculosis not long after at just 21 years old. Joshi wasn't the only Indian woman doctor for long, though. A year before Joshi died, Kadambini Ganguly became the first woman to earn a medical degree in India. Kind of sad that she, before she was even able to like formally use her degree, she died of tuberculosis. Yeah. Tuberculosis is a crazy, crazy ailment. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, and then the next one on the list is Sophia Jex Blake from 1840 to 1912 and the Indenburg Seven. Uh, Sophia Jex Blake wanted to attend medical school at the University of Indenburg. Edinburgh? Edinburgh. Jesus. I just realized that. I was like, wait, that's not right. <laughs> and the Edinburgh Seven. Um, Sophia Jex Blake wanted to attend medical school at the University of Edinburgh in the 1860s. But when she applied, one of the professors said admitting women would harm the profession because of their low intelligence and stamina. Despite this blatant rejection, Jex Blake and six other women, who became known as the Edinburgh Seven, demanded their spots in the school. The Edinburgh Seven faced multiple challenges. Around 200 male students petitioned against allowing women to enroll in the school. The university charged the women higher fees and male professors refused to teach them. Then, in 1870, hundreds of male students rioted to stop the Edinburgh Seven from taking an anatomy quit exam. Nope, yep, anatomy, yeah, (laughs) exam. The university ultimately refused to grant any of the women a degree. Five of the Edinburgh Seven moved abroad to earn their medical degrees. Still, all seven continued to fight for the women in medicine. That kind of sucks. Like, that's not a a happy ending. No, it's not. but, I mean, they continued to fight, which... I mean, yeah, they continued to do the thing that they really didn't have a choice in doing because they yeah. wanted to do this other thing, but... Um, Susan Lefesh... Lefesh? Lefesh? I'm not sure. Um, Picot is widely considered the first Native American doctor. In 1886, Picot, a member of the Omaha tribe, boarded a train for Philadelphia to attend the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania, one of the world's first women's medical schools. And three years later, she graduated as valedictorian. Picot then returned to the Omaha reservation to serve as a doctor for the Office of Indian Affairs. Um, It wasn't an easy life. She often had to make house calls on foot through the snow. Some patients even rejected her medical suggestions, but Picot dedicated decades to improving reservation conditions and eventually achieved her dream of building a hospital on the reservation. That's cool. That does not sound like a Native American name. Right. At all. Well, part of that is probably 
because she had to change her name to probably enroll in school. Be able to go to school. Yeah. So, because this was eighteen six, like she was born in eighteen sixty five. She passed away in nineteen fifteen. So, yeah, she probably had to like Americanize her name to be able to do anything. Which we kind of talked about when we uh, were talking about. voting rights where Native Americans couldn't, like, had to denounce their Native American heritage to become, and say that they yeah. were no, no longer part of a tribe to actually vote. It's crazy. Yep. And the next on the list is Elizabeth Blackwell, and it looks like, just based on her picture, the first woman to ever use Photoshop. Jesus. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad picture. She looks like a ghost. I'll put a, it, it'll be on our website, but she looks like a ghost. It's very weird. Yeah, it's it's not a very flattering picture. <laughs> um, but after being left destitute following her father's death in 1838, Elizabeth Blackwell decided to pursue medicine, becoming the first woman in America to earn a medical degree. But the path was challenging. U.S. medical schools refused to admit women at the time, and the one college that accepted Blackwell sent her acceptance letter as a joke. Still, Blackwell persisted. Once enrolled in medical school, she was made to sit apart from her male peers, and instructors often banned her from attending labs. Despite these setbacks, Black well graduated at the top of her class in 1849 with gender discrimination limiting her career opportunities blackwell opened her own clinic in new york and later found a medical college that admitted women wow look at her i feel like we've talked about her before um the name does sound familiar but i'm not sure um next up is ogino ginko uh born 18 1851, passed away in 1913. Um, at 16, Ogino Ginko discovered her husband had given her an STI. And the future doctor swore off men, filed for divorce, and moved to Tokyo, where she began working in a hospital. Um, after she saw the way male doctors mistreated their female patients, she vowed to become Japan's first female doctor. As the only woman at her medical school, she faced a lot of harassment, um, with hecklers trying to force her to drop out. But she kept going, eventually winning over patients who'd vowed never to let a woman doctor touch them. Um, Ogino late, later founded her own gynecology clinic and practiced medicine for several years. So I have a question. I have you an answer. Ch- you changed the word instead of... so. It says in the actual text, sexually transmitted disease. Oh, you changed it to STI. Right. The the standard is no longer calling it a disease, but an infection. Well, there's there's both. There's, there's a, a disease, and then there's also an infection. There's They're not the same. Like Some things are classified as a transmitted disease, and some are an infection. But technically, technically, a disease... It, it doesn't it doesn't work the same way i don't i've seen it all standardized to stis now instead of stds because a, marking it as a disease rather than an infection changes something i don't remember <laughs> anyways moving on uh, the, next, <laughs> <laughs> the next one on the list is gertie Corey from 1896 to 1957 and Gertie Corey made history in 1947 as the first woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize or, sorry the Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine uh, born in Prague Corey immigrated to the U.S. after completing her, a doctorate in medicine. She became a professor in biochemistry at Washington University in St. Louis, where she conducted research alongside her husband, Carl, a professor in the medical school. Together, the Coreys, such a funny name, Carl Corey. <laughs> Sorry. Together, together the Coreys. <laughs> Get it together. <laughs> together, the Coreys researched how the human body processed sugar. 
their research spanned insulin, insulin production, blood glucose concentration, and hormones. As a woman, Corey faced many hurdles in her academic career. Most universities refused to hire her, and when Washington University recruited Carl to run its pharmacology department, it offered Corey a research position at a fraction of her husband's salary. Fortunately, the Nobel Prize recognized her equal role in groundbreaking medical research. Well, I mean, there's that at least. Whoa. Let's see. Hildegard of Bingen, 1098 to 1179, a 12th century nun known for her holistic approach to healing. Hildegard of Bingen wrote about philosophy, theology, and music, and penned several texts on medicine. She argued that treating medicine... Uh, nope, I, I skipped. I skipped. <laughs> um, she, <laughs> she argued that treating diseases... <laughs> required an understanding of their causes. Many of Hildegard's remedies drew upon herbal treatments and remedies designed to promote balance within the body. Recently, researchers returned to Hildegard's cures to test whether they worked. By looking at 85 plants recommended by Hildegard, the study found a strong correlation between Hildegard's treatments and today's medicinal use of the same plants. That's really cool, especially the music portion of it, like to take uh, to treat specific things like um sadness or depression music is usually used to help that stuff Mm -hmm. um and then florence nightingale which i think most people have heard the name i don't know that i actually knew who she was uh but from 1820 to 1910 um in the early 19th century when women had few medical options florence nightingale became a nurse and revolutionized hospital hospital design during the crimean crimean war thank you (laughs) nightingale led a team of female nurses who cared for injured British soldiers. At first, the male doctors scorned the nurses' assistance, convinced that their own methods worked better. Uh, but thanks to Nightingale's insistence on new sanitation policies and her attention to each soldier, the death rate at the military hospital dropped by 40%. Oh, sorry, from 40% to 2%. Uh, Nightingale carry, er, yeah, carried that wartime experience back to Britain, where she put together a data-heavy presentation for Queen Victoria. The monarch used Nightingale's work to transform hospitals across the country. So that's why, okay, so Florence Nightingale is the reason we have kind of a a more standard requirement for sanitizing and cleaning um, in hospitals. Okay. All right. And last, but certainly not least, Susie King Taylor, born 1848, passed away 1912. Born into slavery, Susie King Taylor secretly attended school where she learned to read and write. During the Civil War, she successfully escaped to freedom in a daring dash to reach a Union gunboat patrolling near a Confederate fort. Once she had secured her freedom, Taylor volunteered for the Army's 1st Black Regiment, where she became the first Black Army nurse. When she wasn't caring for Black soldiers at the hospital, Taylor taught them how to read. After the war, she opened a school for Black students in Georgia. She became the only Black woman to publish an account of her life during the Civil War. What a wonderful revolution, Taylor declared in her memoir. In 1861, the Southern papers were full of advertisements for slaves, but now, despite all the hindrances and race problems, my people are striving to attain the full standard of all other races born free in the sight of God. Well, look at that. Hmm. That's cool. Well, I sent you a couple of other um, links to some other stuff uh, about mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I thought we could talk a little bit about it. Everybody suffer. I mean, everybody suffers from mental health every now and then. And I you know some someone is going through a little bit of a hard time right now. I so don't. I, thought, I don't know who that could be. I thought it might be good to. <laughs> 
to talk about it a little bit, maybe, and help, maybe help a little bit. Um, but I was looking at, let's, I was looking specifically at this, the, the four C's. Okay, um, cool, because I was opening that right now because I was yeah. like, what's the four C's? So yeah, the four C's is um, a tool that has some little slogans to help remember um, that there's uh, family didn't cause mental health or addiction. You can't control it and you can't cure it, but certainly can cope with it. So those are like the four C's. So it's not caused. Your family can't cause it, although sometimes they can. <laughs> so, I mean, it is genetic. Yeah. Um, so the, the first one that says you didn't cause it. Um, this is something that a lot of family members, especially parents, wonder about. We ask, is it my fault? Was I too strict or too neglect or too neglectful or permissive or busy? Uh, if we had seen the signs earlier, could we have caught the problem before it got out of hand? My father had bipolar disorder. Should I even have had children knowing they could get it? Uh, what about the time I yelled at her for not doing the dishes? The questions go on and on and they can trouble us for years. It's interesting that most researchers are not nearing Oh, sorry, are not nearly as preoccupied with these questions as families are. For example, a research of or, sorry, a search of research database, Ibisco, uh, for causes etiology of mental health or mental illness in general, as well as schizophrenia, bipolar, and depression. Uh, showed 670 results for the years 2015 to 2018, but only seven of them mention parental involvement. Most of them just in passing. Now you might say, I'm the parent. How could I not have had something to do with these problems? Of course, when people live together, uh, they always influence each other, but that's a far cry from causing a mental illness or addiction. Uh, you didn't cause it just like you didn't cause their last cold. And don't forget all the good you have contributed in your life. Oh, to your loved ones. But I'm going to disagree with that first C. <laughs> I mean, because parents contribute a lot towards mental health, like a lot, a lot, especially like depending on how they're raising their kids, how accepting they are, yeah. so on and so forth. And also you can cause somebody else to get a cold. You, me and Ryan all passed <laughs> around the same goddamn cold while I was there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's two parts to that. It's like you, you can look at it as, okay, my, my neglectful behavior or like some of the things that I do may have caused some trauma that could have led to the mental dis mental illness illness or mental um maybe this isn't a good topic to talk about uh, <laughs> kind of led to it but like it's also how is the person coping with it that's kind of the last also the last c like what are they but then again for a family member what is the family member doing to help help that person um cope with it or deal with it right. like i looking over the other ones yeah i absolutely i agree with the other c's like you know you just you can't control it um like you can't you can't you can't control a lot of aspects of the illness but you can cope with them no yeah i think like, i think that makes sense the first one aside from it being like genetics um, little things like being too, uh, little things like ye not yelling at her for not doing the dishes. I mean, how often are you yelling at her for not doing the dishes? Is it one time? That probably didn't cause any any yeah. long-term harm. Yeah. If you are constantly yelling at the child and berating them, then yeah, that's going to cause long-term harm that could lead to mental illness. Something as small as like, oh, she didn't do the dishes last night and I yelled at her. Unless you make that a habit and you always yell at her, then that could lead to it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you notice it as soon as you see it and you're like, oh shoot, I shouldn't have done that, and you make right, then maybe. 
<laughs> yeah, like this definitely, I think, um, I definitely think this can help people, especially people like families who um, aren't used to mental illness diagnoses. Yeah. Like it's definitely a start. I think the part that it's like, I think makes a lot of sense to highlight in here is just because your family has a history of mental illness doesn't mean that your children are going to 100% get it. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing you can do if they do other than help treat it and help right. them cope with it. Um, like schizophrenia, bipolar, and depression. Those things are things that like even even if you like knew, a lot of people don't even know that their family suffers from those things. And yeah. they, like they have no way of knowing. So it's not, there's no way they could have been at fault or done it purposefully to pass it on to their children um but it's how you respond to it once you find out that your child has is has schizophrenia or has bi bipolar disorder like those how you react to it and how you help them cope and treat it is is where it's going to matter the most asking is it my fault or did i cause it isn't going to do anything it's the better question is what do we need to do to help fix it or to help stabilize it. Right. That's what you want to do. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. We got somewhere out of that kind of yes. less than ideal situation conversation that was going on there. Um, and I think, I mean, I think we can look at these and like take it from like the, the actual overall statement. Like you didn't yeah. cause it, like we said, it, more than likely you may have had a hand in it, but causing it 100%, I mean, there's always two two people in in a, in a situation. How much percentage one person's fault it is, isn't, is always kind of up for up It's going to vary. Yeah. Uh, and then the control portion of it, it's kind of like what we were just saying. Um, you can control how you are reacting to it and how you're helping them get through it and cope cope with it or how how you yourself are getting through it and coping with it if you're reaching out to people if you're asking for help asking your friends to send you a bunch of gifs on social media <laughs> <laughs> i think i mean i think a lot of a lot of help and like controlling it is just talking about it and asking for help kind of like like just letting people know like, kind of like what what you may have done <laughs> just i'm going through it <laughs> what i may have done uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going through th something right now. Help me. I don't I don't right. want to talk about it. I don't necessarily need you to do anything. Just be there for me and yeah. send me something like a blizzard from Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like the blizzard from Dairy Queen, which was very good, by the way. Um, yeah, no, the biggest thing that I have learned is that I usually have to preface by saying, you know, I don't really need, I don't really need anything because there isn't anything that I need at this moment. It's that I just want to like, let be, you know, talk about it. I just want to, you know, let people know, hey, I'm kind of going through it right now. So just, you know, whatever positive energy or if you want to send me a gif or if you want to like send me ice cream, like just just have knowing that somebody's there is helpful. Yeah. Um, it's also being aware of like limitations. Like, honestly, what I really want is I want somebody to just curl up with me and watch movies all day and not do literally anything else but like obviously you know this is 
this is real life and that's not always an option. So recognizing when that's not going to be an option, what something else might help. Yeah. And then communication. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, communication is really key in a lot of aspects in life, like uh, making sure, you know, making sure, you know, someone's there for you helps a lot. I don't. Yes. I don't necessarily deal with mental health issues that much or if I do I don't notice them um like I'm kind of pretty I don't know how to say it I'm I mean I'm pretty but <laughs> I mean yeah <laughs> I'm um god what am I trying to say Sarah I'm pretty lucky in the fact that I I haven't really had very many men mental health issues or haven't really had to suffer with depression that much in my life because I always I have the, um, like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, what can I, what is, is there something that I can do to fix what's going on? Is there something that I could have done to prevent it? Um, or is there something that I can do right now to make it go away or make it better? If, mm -hmm. if the answer to that is no, there's nothing you can do, then it's just like, well, then why do I need to stress about it? Right. It, it happened. I'll move on. Right. Cool. Let's go. Like, yeah, your like, brain is set up to accept that as okay. This is this is what's going on. This is what's happening, and there's not anything I can do. Yeah. So we're just gonna let it go. My brain is like, we can't do anything. Well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to like really worry because there's nothing we can do. Yeah, which, and then panic sets in. <laughs> I don't know when or how I got that mindset, but maybe I've always had it. Um. But it's like whenever I go flying, it's everybody's like, oh, I'm so afraid of flying. It's like, why? What are you going to do? It's like, whatever happens is going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it unless you're flying the plane. Even then, you have almost only so much control over the situation. Right. And this is this, that's that's really weird because it's coming from someone that is a freaking control freak. So it's like right. all you can do is just let go and just let it happen. And there's not much you can do about something that's going to happen if it's whether whether it's going to happen or not. Like there's not much you can do. So just cope with it, which is the last C. <laughs> right. Um but there are there's also the um five ways to create awareness and breaks stigma um that was included in that little list that i sent you mm -hmm. so the first one is called um confronting the elephant in the room so like facing the truth and talking about it openly with family friends um so what you're going through um having the conversation it does say like unfortunately there are various treatments but many people with mental illness um rarely come forward to seek professional help so if you can and you're in the financial situation where you can seek financial help or seek um professional help uh I'll always there's always places out there to go um betterhelp.com they're not sponsored we're not sponsored by them but i've always heard that they do a really good job and they have a, they always have a lot of um counselors that are always available like you can text them or you can chat with them if you don't want to be on on the phone or you don't want to actually like FaceTime with someone there's always they're always just a text or a chat chat bot away and then putting the spotlight on mental issues uh, they require attention so if there's a family history of mental health illness uh, traumatic life experiences like losing a dear one a dear one a dear one yeah. that's like a, a dear friend or a close one it, I've never heard dear one oh uh, financial crises uh, 
and physical or psychological abuse. Uh, then brain chemistry and functioning, which a lot of it, yeah, if your brain chemistry is off, there's not really much you can do about that, aside from like try and take the medicines that will help balance your chemical imbalance in your brain. Uh, genetic factors, social factors such as economic depression, which right now a lot of people are dealing with that because we're going through a recession, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Millennials, two recessions, several wars, crazy. Yeah. And then whilst health, mental health issues can manifest themselves in many ways, some of the common disorders that uh, need more awareness than others include depression disorder, suicidal thoughts, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance use disorder, and anxiety disorders. So those are things that just talking about them and kind of getting that help doesn't always like getting that talking to someone about it doesn't always help there might be something like um there's medicine that needs to be taken or a program that is pretty like a strict program that someone needs to go through to make sure that they stick on the stick with the not going to the substances that help them cope with things mm. and then there's the five the list of five things that you can do so mental health awareness how can i help so openly discuss mental health issues that's kind of the first step shedding a light on the signs of uh and symptoms checking your mental health condition so do it yourself as well uh volunteer in local mental health awareness programs and adopt um, <laughs> adopt a holistic approach to helping others nice interesting those are, those are all good things very interested in this uh this foundation Rian. Is it Rian? Yeah, I think so. Or Reen. I'm like Rain, but Reen. Mm. Nice. Um, and then this last one that you sent um also talks about what are, you know, what is mental illness? Mental illness is a health problem that affects people's um thoughts, mood, behavior, or the way they perceive the world around them. Um, a mental illness can cause distress and may affect the person's ability to function at work, in relationships, or in everyday tasks, which is where I am currently. Um, mental illnesses can range from mild disorders lasting only a few weeks through to severe illnesses that can be lifelong and cause serious disability. Um, so this is from Australia. So it talks about um, how many people in Australia suffer from a mental illness. And it says one in every five Australians, which is about 4 million people, suffer from a mental illness in a given year. And almost half the population has suffered a mental disorder at some time in their life. So it gives a list of types of mental illnesses, such as mood disorders, anxiety disorders, personality disorders, eating disorders, um, which a lot of people might not realize that's a mental illness, um, trauma-related disorders, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, Disorder, and then substance abuse disorders and psychotic disorders. Um, it talks about some of the symptoms of mental illnesses, such as unusual or illogical thoughts, unreasonable anger or irritability, poor concentration and memory, not being able to follow a conversation, increased or low appetite, lack of motivation, withdrawing from people, drug use, feelings that life is not worth living, or more serious suicidal thoughts, things like that. Um, um, I did just look it up and it says uh, from the National Institute of Mental Health in the U.S. It says more than one in five uh, U.S. adults live with a, a mental illness, and that's about 57.8 million uh, estimated in 2021. 57.8 million? Yeah. That's yeah. about similar to Australia based wow. on the information in this, right? Well, based on the, the number of people. Oh, four million, yeah. But yeah, they, they only... I was like, man, Australia has a smaller population than we do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like... I, I never realized that. I don't know why. But anyway. <laughs> uh, 
Great. Um, so there's also a list of causes of mental illness. Um, some of the causes can be genetic factors, um, drug and alcohol abuse, um, other biological factors. There are some like medical conditions that can cause hormone changes, which can affect um, mental health, early life environment, trauma and stress, um, personality factors, and then it talks about like when you should see your doctor and how mental illness is diagnosed, um, which it can actually be really difficult to get proper diagnoses um, if you're not if you if you don't go to the right people. Yeah. So make sure that you're like actually going to a psychiatrist for a diagnosis um, and not just like your general care doctor. And a lot of the times it's like they give you a questionnaire and it's like, well, what good is a questionnaire going to do? It's right. not really going to narrow down what I'm actually going through. Right. Unless you discuss Especially it if me. you don't even know what you're going through. Yeah. Like you're, you're like, I don't know. I just feel sad all the time. Like you might not know that that's depression. It yeah. could also not even be depression. It could be anxiety manifesting as sadness. So like that's why it's important to talk to somebody who's actually specifically trained and specializes in mental health. No. Which would be someone like a psychiatrist um, rather than going to just your general care doctor. Which then it goes on to talk about uh, mental health illness treat treatment. So there's uh, psychological therapy. So many different types of psychological therapy, including supportive therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, uh, psychodynamic therapy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, interpersonal therapy, group couple and family therapy uh, there's also medicines the most commonly prescribed medicines are antidepressants which can be used for anxiety or depression and then mood stablers are used for bipolar disorder and antipsychotics uh, medicines are used for schizophrenia and psychosis and then lifestyle changes so exercise is known to help relieve or prevent anxiety or depression which can't be the reason that I have never really experienced much anxiety or depression because I don't exercise that much. <laughs> I really should. I should start exercising more. I uh, mean, shouldn't we all? Yeah. Avoiding illicit drugs and alcohol is also recommended and a healthy diet is a uh, and good nutrition. And then complementary therapies like relaxation strategies, meditation, and other therapies may be helpful to restore good mental health. If severe or a person is at risk of suicide, then treatment may involve hospitalization um, and well, hospital assessment and maybe admission. Yeah. And then it also talks about whether um, mental illness can be prevented. Um, good mental health can be boosted by positive things in life, such as having support from family, friends, and the community, having a strong sense of identity and culture, looking after your physical health by eating a healthy diet and exercising, reducing stress as possible. Oh, reducing stress of possible. This person needs to be fired. <laughs> Being optimistic, developing ways of coping with life's problems, and then getting support. And a lot of it really just kind of, even like the very first one and the very last one, it's getting support that you need. Like reaching out to family, friends. If it's a really, really like dire problem, that's really when, if you're a friend that's experiencing someone going through a mental health crisis, then I would always recommend trying to f get them to talk to a professional. Yeah. Because there's only so much you can do and there's only so much that you can handle stress-wise. Like, yeah. 
only so much stress that you you can everybody has like in empathic tendencies where if you're working through something with someone it's going to drain you as well yeah so knowing what your limit is yeah it's important to know where your limit is what you are actually able to do in the situation and um you know just giving yourself a break as well like you have to be able to set boundaries then we talk about kind of the the more severe side of mental health issues where we talk about uh it talks this um article starts talking about complications of mental health illness and there's a lot of uh, stigma around mental health um and one in ten people with mental health issues dies by suicide we should put a trigger warning at the very beginning of this conversation yes (laughs) i will put that at the beginning (laughs) sarah had to go on mute because she's losing a lung yeah coughing up (laughs) whatever it was that used to be my lungs anyway um but yeah unfortunately that that does happen i mean i've i've tried it before so it kind of goes back to the thing where i i said earlier i haven't really ever had to deal with too much mental i mean i've had a lot of like issues in my life but it's kind of like the thing where I said earlier, I, I can't do much about most of them. So I just kind of shrug it off or move forward or just pretend it didn't happen. Which is that healthy? <laughs> Probably not. No, but... not really, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else do you want to talk about? What are you doing this weekend, Sarah? Uh, this weekend, I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not doing a whole lot. I am just going to chill out. Sorry, decided to yawn right in the middle of that. Um, I'm just gonna chill out. Probably, I was playing a video game last night, so probably gonna play some more video games. Um, Ooh, what video game? Oh, I was playing um, Fable Three. I'm being a whore. I'm going around and marrying like a whole bunch of people, and none <laughs> of them, none of them know about each other. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm playing Fable Three right now. Um, I've played it before, but I haven't played it for a long time. And there's just a bunch of different little quests, and there's a lot of people interaction, so you can interact with like almost every single character in the game and um i like that so i like i like going around and making friends with these people and then doing quests and things like that so and you know marrying people (laughs) (laughs) what do you look very intense right now i'm typing (laughs) i'm looking up something i'm trying to find a women's history month quiz (laughs) or not quiz but um trivia trivia yeah oh you miss the trivia. I do. I do. I do. Oh, we can play. I mean, I guess we could do a quiz together and then see. See what see our results can, are. Yeah. See if we can get the correct in- information since we've talked about uh, a lot of women's history stuff throughout the month. Want to do that? Yeah. All right. Do you want me to share the screen? I guess I could just read. Well, I could share. Yeah, just share the screen. Yeah, maybe. Oh, there it is. I have it split screen, so I thought it was hidden, but it's not. Here. Alrighty, so this is called Women's History Month Quiz for Families, um, and I will include it in the description of the podcast, and we'll also include include the link to it on the uh, website. And the first question is, what is Ada Lovelace famous for? Um, being the first computer programmer in history. You know that for sure? Oh, look, it yeah. says you're right. Cool. Uh, and then the correct info, uh, Ada Lovelace was an English mathematician who became the first the world's first computer programmer when she wrote the first algorithm for a machine in the 1800s she worked with charles babbage Mm -hmm. 
known as the father of the computer and established or and, and published an article explaining how codes could cr be created for his computing machines. She also came up with the concept of looping or repeating instructions in code. The second Tuesday of October each year is now known as Ada Lovelace Day to celebrate the achievements of women in STEM. After the 19th Amendment became part of the Constitution, were all women in the U.S. able to vote? <laughs> no, because people of color and non-English speakers still couldn't vote in many places. Wasn't it the second one, though? No, because when the 19th Amendment passed... It became part of the Constitution, which means it was required in all states. Okay. Even after the 19th Amendment became part of the Constitution in 1920, many Native American and Black people, including women, were still unable to vote in some states because of racial discrimination at local election offices, and unfair laws such as poll taxes and difficult English reading tests. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was designed to finally secure voting rights for racial and language minorities. Hmm, that's nice. But even still, as we know from previous podcast episodes, <laughs> there are still places where where people are not able to vote, yeah. especially Native American people. And then the third one on this list is, which of these famous women in American sport history was the first to win three Olympic gold medals in track and field after a childhood doctor thought she would never be able to walk again? Was it Wilma it's, Rudolph, Florence it, Griffith Joyer, Joyner, or Marianne Jones? It's Wilma Rudolph. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. Wilma Rudolph became known as the fastest woman in the world. After winning three gold medals in the 1960 Summer Olympics, Rudolph was born prematurely and had many illnesses as a young child, including scarlet fever, double pneumonia, and polio. The polio caused paralysis, and as a result, she wore a metal leg brace for several years. Her doctor didn't believe she would ever be able to walk without it. However, with frequent care and encouragement from her parents and siblings, she gradually increased movement in the leg and was running and playing sports by the age 11. She kept it up and at age 16 she qualified for the Olympics. At age 16? Jesus. Yes. Wow. Yep, yep. We may have reached the ending of my knowledge but those ones I knew <laughs> for sure. I was obsessed with Wilma Rudolph as a kid because one of the things that she also struggled with was asthma and because I, I was a little kid with asthma I really looked up to her because she was able to push past it and go to the olympics it was nice N number four back back when i believed in things <laughs> <laughs> number four at what age did malala yusafzai i butchered that i'm so sorry become the youngest person to be awarded the nobel peace prize was it 14 years old 17 years old or 20 years old i want to be optimistic and say 14. I was also going to say 14. But I feel like it's 17. But let's say 14. Let's say 14. Nope, I was right, 17. Yeah. It was 17, yeah. Do you want to read it? Yeah. At 17 years old in 2014, Malala became the youngest person to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Born in 1997 in Pakistan, she always loved school. When she was around 10 years old, the Taliban violently took over the area of Pakistan where she lived. Taliban control meant that girls were not allowed to attend school anymore and hundreds of schools were destroyed. But she spoke out for girls' rights um, to an education and began writing for international media at age 11. She continued her activism despite the danger and age age 15, she was shot and seriously wounded by the Taliban, was brought to the UK where she recovered. When she was 16, she spoke at the United Nations and published her first book. I think it was because I was thinking about how old she was when she got shot, Yeah. rather than afterwards. 
Oh, jeez. <laughs> he's he's looking at the names of the of the next <laughs> one and is am. getting a little concerned. Uh, who was the first woman in U.S. to be elected presidency of a country? Was it Big? You mean Big in Dr- the world? Big D- oh, was it yeah. the U.S. Oh wow, I did. <laughs> 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 we'll go back. <laughs> Who is the first woman in the world to be elected presidency president of a country? I, it, and I said presidency, and it's not even there. there what is go. wrong with me today? I don't know. President of a country. Uh, was it Vig- Vigdis? Fing- I, so- I, I would say it's Vigdis, but I have no idea on that last one. Ellen Johnson Sirliff of Liberia or... Jacinda Arjun in New Zealand. I think it's Jacinda. No, I think it was Vigdis. Okay, you're correct, Sarah. In 1980, Vigdis, whatever, uh, became the first woman in the world to be elected president of a country as well as Iceland's first female head of state. Uh, her last name had a background in theater and educational television. And as president, she led Iceland uh, to focus on the importance of retreat, retaining and celebrating its unique language and culture. She ended up being reelected three times and leading her country for a total of 16 years. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, which of these important women in history appears on a coin as part of the American Women Quarters program? Anna Mae Wong, Maya Lin, or... Or Shirley Chisholm. Is it Anna Mae Wong? I don't know. I want to say that it's Shirley Chisholm because she like ran for. She was um, a black woman who ran for office um, for the presidency, but I I don't know for sure. <gasps> Anna Mae Wong. It was Anna Mae Wong. I that's the only name I knew. She was the first Chinese American film star in Hollywood, um, and her image first appeared on the U.S. Quarter in 2022, and so did the other influential women in history: Maya Angelou, Dr. Sally Ride, Wilma Mankiller, and Nina Otero. Warren. I didn't even know that they released quarters with women on them. That was during our coin shortage, too, in the United States. So, of course, that's when they release it, is during the coin shortage. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Even when they're trying to do something nice, they still do something terrible. It is crazy that Maya Angelou, like, why don't we know this? Maya Angelou, also that third name, Wilma Mankiller, mm-hmm. awesome name. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like, hold on. Hold I'm sure on. the coins were, the quarters were probably like you had to order them and they're worth more than a quarter. Probably. Um, Wilma Mankiller is honored and recognized as the first female principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. Oh, okay. And then so number- the American Sorry. Women Quarter is worth 57 cents to a dollar 16. Oh. Where are where are these quarters? Rich people probably have them. Probably. Um and then number 7 is how many Nobel prizes did Mary Marie Curie win for her work in science? Is it 1, 2 or 3? I think it was 1. I think it was 1. Oh, no. Nope. I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah. Right, this one, yeah. Uh, Marie Curie was a Polish-French scientist who first won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1903 alongside her husband Pierre Pierre Curie? Pierre? Pierre. Pierre Curie. For their advancements in the field of radiation. A few years after Pierre's death, Pierre's death, Marie was awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1911 for the discovery of two radioactive elements, radium and polonium. Polonium, and for figuring out how to produce radium on its own. Her work was crucial in the radiation, oh, to the radiation we use today in science and medicine where it is used to treat cancer. Her daughter, Irene Juliette Curie, also went on to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry. So she won two. Two. Two is the answer. 
Okay, so the American, hold on, because I'm, I'm stuck on this American Women Quarters thing. So the, the American Women Quarters program is a four-year program that celebrates the accomplishments and contributions made by women of the United States. Um, beginning in 2022 and continuing through 2025, the U.S. Mint will issue up to five new reverse designs each year. So last year, the, the Mint was supposed to release those those five new quarters, but I've seen literally zero. We did and then this year, charge. they're supposed to release um, Bessie Coleman, Edith Kanakaoli, um, Eleanor Roosevelt's Jovita Idar, and Maria Tallchief. Hmm. So I guess we're all just going to have to keep an eye out for these quarters i want them do you remember when they came out with the united states quarters yes um my step grandmother was obsessed and she spent i think two or three years collecting all 50 states in little booklets for each of us grandkids yeah my dad had one and he was he would do the same thing he got one for each of us i don't know what happened to them (laughs) like i have mine but i took them all out of the book when i moved so like i still have all of them but they're not in the book anymore yeah. Um, American women weren't typically able to get a credit card in their own name until a law changed that in what, what year? And I believe, if I'm correct, that it was 1974. I want it to be 1966. I know you do. But I was wrong. But it was 1974. The Equal Credit Opportunity Act became law in 1974. Credit cards had been in mainstream use since 1958, but for those first 16 years, women usually had to get a man to co-sign in order to open a credit card account. Even if women made more money than a man in their family and were able to pay on their own, the banks didn't see women as financially independent. But the Equal Credit Opportunity Act changed that, making it illegal for banks to discriminate against applicants based on their gender, religion, race, and national origin. Muy interesante. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say. But number nine, how many self-portraits did Frida Kahlo produce in her lifetime? 15, 35, or 55? I want to say 35. I know she did a lot of self-portraits. No, 55. So, 55. Yeah. Wow. So Frida Kahlo, a Mexican painter who lived from 1907 to 1955, produced 143 paintings, and 55 of them are self-portraits. Kahlo was an a major bus accident and her it left her seriously injured and during the isolating period of her long recovery she painted many self-portraits that ex- like expressed her pain oh that's cool yeah I mean, that's a yeah. good way to cope Rita Kahlo was amazing um which of these women worked for NASA but was not featured in the movie Hidden Figures Katherine Johnson Mary Jackson Christine Darden Christine Darden I was like, I I haven't seen it. I know Katherine Johnson's in it. There we go. Christine Darden was an aeronautical engineer at NASA. She appeared in the book Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly, but did not make it to the storyline in the well-known movie version because she worked at NASA several years after the 1961-1962 plot featuring the three heroines, Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. As portrayed in the book as standing on their shoulders, and that's true, she said. The fact they did good work meant that NASA continued to hire, and they hired me. Hmm. It's a really good movie. I don't know if you, whoever hasn't seen it, needs to see it it's a good movie. i haven't seen it but i've been wanting to see it so maybe i'll do that this weekend you should watch it it's a really good feel good movie maybe that's what i need is a feel good movie and i always say for me a good feel good movie is um ever after one of my favorite movies of all times it is a really good movie i love it so we did pretty well we only missed like 
four out of questions? 10. Sarah, that's 60%. <laughs> you know what? 60% is still pretty good. And still an F. No, it's a D. Is it? I think yeah. it depends on your grade scale. So I think at um, my school, anything less than a 65 is an F. Yeah. But I wouldn't know. I've never gotten that low. I know. <laughs> There's an am I am gay question mark test. <laughs> <laughs> well, we already know that we're gay. <laughs> That's funny. I want to do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's let's do it. Gay, gay test. test. Take the quiz. I'm loving this picture right now. Yeah, I like that. Start quiz. Uh, <clears throat> how do you feel about gay characters in media? I don't feel strongly about gay characters. I appreciate positive representation, but gay characters don't stand out for me. I get very excited over gay characters. Okay. I always get very excited. Yeah, I get really excited about gay characters. <laughs> Do you form stronger emotional bonds with people of the same sex than with people of the opposite sex? Not really. I can be friends with any gender. No, I form stronger bonds with the opposite sex. Now when I think about it, I'm mostly friends with people of the same sex. Um, I think for me it's a not really. I can be friends with any gender. <laughs> I typically form strong, stronger bonds with females. It's going to try to tell you that you're straight. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that means the opposite. I'm going to send this to you and you can take it alongside so we're not. <laughs> since since we're diverging. Yeah. Because I'm going to go with, no, I form stronger bonds with the opposite sex. Because I do. I don't have like any male friends. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I used to have more male friends but i don't anymore now i'm pretty much friends with anybody do you ever fantasize about being someone of the same sex of the same sex sometimes yeah i think i think it means being with not just being someone because yes there are definitely people that i that i wish i was them instead of me oh it does mean with because the last one says sometimes but i'm not sure i could actually be with someone of the same sex so often that also often for me why um, why isn't there like one that says 100 percent I don't know because nobody's 100% gay. Could you see yourself being in a same-sex relationship? I think I could. I'm not sure. Maybe. No, I couldn't. Uh, okay. I think I could. If you are attracted to someone of the opposite sex, it's usually a celebrity, a fictional character, or someone similarly unattainable, true or false. Oh, for me, this is true. I'm very, well, I'll say so true because I don't really see, I'm never attracted to someone of the opposite sex. Yeah, I. the only time I'm attracted to the opposite sex is, if they're unattainable. That sounds like some other conversation. That, you yeah, does, that sounds like another conversation I need to be having with my therapist. Um, when you... you oh, I was, it's your turn. Okay. When, when you scroll through social media, it feels like all you see is gay content. True or false? Yep, you got me. Nope. Uh, or the algorithm might push it to me from time to time. I wish that I did. Really? Yeah, but I don't, I don't, well, that's not true. I get a lot more gay content now. So yeah, I'm just gonna put yes. Have you ever kissed someone of the same sex? Uh, no, I was never interested in it. Yes, but I didn't like it. Yes, and it felt good. Uh, every, yeah. every day. Yes, and it felt good. <laughs> <sighs> Do you gravitate toward gay people? I don't think I know anyone who's gay. Uh, I wouldn't say so, but I have a few gay acquaintances. Yes, all my friends are some some flavors of gay. I would have to say, I wouldn't say so, but I have a few. I don't know, because let's not, not all of my friends, definitely not all of my friends, because I don't really pay attention to someone's preferences. So I'm going to say a few acquaintances. I would say the majority 
yes, all my friends, only because I would say a significant portion of my friends. I just don't have very many friends. Are some flavor of queer. And I'm okay with it. You know, it's better to have a few true friends than a lot of fake friends, so. Have you ever been intimate with someone of the same sex? No, never. Yes, and it was great. It was just an experiment. Uh, yes, and it was great. <laughs> Some of these ads on here are hilarious. Uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty interesting. <laughs> Do you feel you have a good gaydar? I'm not sure if I have it. It works perfectly. What's gaydar? Um, I don't know that I have a good gaydar. I don't think I do either. I'm like, I'm not sure. But also, what is, like, what does it matter now? But I mean, yeah, also that. But the only time that it really comes in handy is if you're interested in somebody. Yeah. And and then you're like, are they gay? Are they gay? <laughs> um, What do you feel when you see gay couples kissing? Nothing much. Yearning. Joy. I would, I would say disgust. <laughs> <laughs> but that's even for straight couples. Like, it's... I don't care to see you people kissing in public. Get out of the way. <laughs> next question. Do you think you are gay? No. Yes. I'm not sure. Uh, yes, I am gay. <laughs> Do you often think about how it would feel to kiss someone of the same sex? Nope. Never. Many times. I might have had a brief thought like that. Many times. Many, many times. Do you feel you can relate to gay themes in media? I enjoy them, but I'm not sure I, if I can relate. No. Totally. Who says totally? What kind of 1990s? Listen, don't you dare be mean to the 90s, okay? Totally. <laughs> Have you ever had feelings for someone of the same sex? No, never. Yes, I'm not sure. When you imagine yourself in a relationship, you picture yourself with someone of the same sex, of the opposite sex, sometimes with someone of the same sex, sometimes with someone of the opposite sex. Well, of the, I mean, now it's of the same sex. Um, You don't get excited about your opposite sex relationships true or false it depends on a relationship true or false um for me it depends on a relationship because i i do have a, a partner who is male um have you ever oh nope i just stole that from you but i'm I, <laughs> just oh, go you're halfway through the question <laughs> <laughs> have you ever participated in a pride parade yes Yes, more than once or no. I don't, I haven't participated in a pride. I've watched. I've watched a pride parade, but I don't think that yes. counts. I'll say yes, because I think that counts. Uh, does sex with a person of the opposite sex feel boring or unsatisfying to you? Sometimes, but I think it depends on your partner. Yes or no. Well, no or yes. I mean, I mean for me, it it's sometimes but do you off do people often think you are gay not often but it happened no i don't think so or yes it automatically wow. gives you the result i i am also very gay <laughs> you are extremely gay and that's fine just be yourself and be proud mm. <laughs> i love that gift bobo stop okay we're gonna have to call it because he's can you can you stop he's you hang yourself please he's saying all right it's time to go out Bobo, quit all right ladies and germs quit. stop moving Go, Christ, fuck. All right. We're Hold calling on. it a podcast. We're going to have to. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to call it a podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Now About That with James and Sarah. If you like this episode, please like, comment, follow, and subscribe. Please leave a review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the, uh, as this will help the, get the podcast out to more people and help us grow. Feel free to follow us on social media or our Instagram handle is at nowaboutthatpod. And if there is a specific topic that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to 
email us at nowaboutthat at gmail.com. Well, nope, at nowaboutthatpod at gmail.com or visit our website, www.nowaboutthatproductions.com and add your contact information into the contact us section with whatever you would like us to discuss. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great weekend since this will be coming. Wow. We hope you have a great week since this will be coming out on a Monday. And Sarah, have a great weekend. (laughs) You too. That's a rough ending. Bobo's <laughs> trying to freaking hang himself. He I slid did. right into that. <laughs> All right. You guys have a good week. And thank you for listening to this week's episode. Sarah, have a good weekend. You too. And I will talk Bye. to you next time. Bye. Bye.